Before we start this podcast, I wanted to take some time to tell you about a career opportunity with one of our podcast guests, Night Corp. Night Corp are an insurance brokerage based in Perth, Australia. They're a hugely successful corporate insurance broker with over 50 people in Perth, a national client presence and global capabilities. They are a modern brokerage that is growing yearly, but they're only just getting going. We were lucky enough to have Night Corp CEO Trent Brown on the podcast. Now, he's not from insurance. He is an award-winning tech leader who has worked across edtech, payments, and the BPO sector. He, but he's supported by an entrepreneurial founder who built the Night Corp business from the ground up. Now, Trent thinks about business differently. Um, he's bringing that innovative tech thinking, digital first thinking to the insurance broking sector, but keeping that core insurance deliverable, delivering great risk advisory services to clients. Now, Night Corp have an enviable portfolio of corporate clients. Being headquartered in Perth, they are strong in heavy mining and manufacturing businesses, but they also have a huge amount of the growing Australian tech scene as clients. Now, Trent can't evolve this business on his own, and so Night Corp are hiring for a head of corporate broking. Now, Perth may be an idyllic city of two million people with beautiful beaches, great lifestyle, but it doesn't have the biggest insurance sector, so we need your help to find the best talent for the business. Night Corp are recruiting for a head of corporate broking, which my business, FinPro, is helping them identify. Now, the head of corporate is a critical part of the executive team and will lead all broking operations and strategy for Night Corp. Now, leading the broking function, they will drive innovation, deliver cultural and operational change, and grow profitability. This is not a status quo position, but a change and leadership role requiring determination, lateral thinking, and focused execution. The role will be located in Perth, and report to the CEO, Trent Brown, in Sydney. This role will be a key intersect for the CEO in the Western Australia head office. However, you will assist in the national development and delivery of growth and expansion. We're looking for a genuine, proper leader with excellent communication skills and negotiation skills, a commercial mindset and proven track record in delivering our strategy. The head of corporate will design and develop and manage the delivery of core broking strategy. They will deliver net new business growth through management of organic growth, sales pipeline and customer attention. And they will play a critical role as part of the executive team in designing and executing growth strategies. We know the best person for this job is unlikely to be in Perth. So we're looking for someone who would be interested in relocating. This will be a Perth-based role, so you would need to relocate. But should you be in the UK, USA, Asia or any other major insurance hub, and be open for a new challenge, we'd be interested in talking to you. Relocation assistance will be provided. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to join a successful modern insurance brokerage and be a key leadership part of the journey whilst creating a new life for yourself in Western Australia. And seriously, if you've not looked at Perth as a potential home, check it out. Great weather, great beaches, affordable and quality housing. I'll genuinely be jealous of whoever takes this opportunity. Find out more on the job advert on our LinkedIn page, that's the FinPro LinkedIn page, or reach out to my team directly on our LinkedIn connections. My email is alex at wearefinpro.com. Back to the podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bonds, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Trent Brown, who is CEO of Nightcourt. Um, Trent, good morning. Well, good morning from where I am, but it's, it's, it's evening where you are, I believe, Certainly is. Uh, it's not quite um, sunny Australia today. It's uh, it's getting getting dark at this time of day. Yeah, I, I won't I won't have massive empathy for you because you're it's certainly nicer weather than we normally got. But uh, Trent, where are you joining us from? Are you are you in Sydney at the moment or? 
Uh, I'm actually just down from Sydney. I do have a, a home in Sydney, but I'm I'm a place called Wollongong, which is about two hours down the coast, um, on the coast, um, which is a lovely place to to uh, get away to and escape to every couple of weeks um, for me. So um, that's where we're nice. coming from today. Very nice. Well, um, before I get into this kind of Australia weather uh, obsession that I tend to have every time I have an Australian guest, um, be lovely if you could introduce uh, yourself and, and the night court business. Yeah, look, uh, look, I'm uh, I'm uh, not your classic uh, insurance uh, broking person. I actually uh, have come from the digital world and found myself in um, in uh, broking. Um, Nightclub itself, um, and we can obviously get into that later. But Nightclub itself, um, it's one of the largest and fastest growing um, insurance brokerages in in Perth, um, which is in Western Australia. Um, and probably nationally, it's one of the one of the fastest growing brokerages. So we typically um, focus on the corporate space. Um, we do large clients, being from Perth, mining, mining services. Um, we do a lot of um, retail, technical in some of the eastern states. And whilst we're Perth-based, we actually operate nationally, um, but we also place internationally. So we're one of these brokerages that sort of is independent, nips at the heels of the internationals. Um, which uh, is relatively annoying for them. But I guess we're big enough to be, um, uh, I guess, um, significant, um, but we're small enough to be agile. And I guess that's where our differentiation is. And I guess at the heart of what we do is we look at the customer first and try and develop solutions that best meet their needs. Perfect. Brilliant. Um... Thank you for that overview. And I, and I think that gives us some context as to, to, to why I was so interested to have you on as a guest, because um, you've been in, how long have you been running Night Corp now? And, and this is your this is your first foray into insurance full stop, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I briefly touched on, I ran, um, so I've been at Night Corp for nine months now. I did uh, many moons ago, I'm showing my age, about 20 years ago, ran some outsourced call centres. Um, and, you know, for some of the big banks, um, and insurers, we ran campaigns um, which were in accidental death, life insurance, um, pet insurance, and we did that quite successfully. You know, I actually scaled and we um, we passed on that company. The directors sold it off to one of the major banks. So I touched on insurance, but I guess, um, you know, my nine months in, um, in Nightcorp is the, the first foray into insurance broking. Um, and certainly um, with a with a whole um, of company focus on insurance, whereas the call centre, yes, we did specialise in financial services, but we did a lot of other products as well. Yeah, fantastic. Um, the reason I asked for that context is because I think it's an important part of the conversation that we're going to have today, because, you know, we talk about the Leadership and Insurance podcast and, and we're quite often talking to InsureTechs uh, or innovative insurers, um, and InsureTechs is, is I have to say it with a quote unquote because I've become I've become more skeptical about the term. Uh, bear in mind this premise in which my business is built. I have to be careful about that, but it, it, it's more that you know really what we're talking about is techn technologically native insurance businesses, and then insurance SaaS is generally what we include in InsureTech. And I, and I think it's it's the leadership angle of what we're trying to talk about now is, is people that are driving change and trying to do something different. And I, and I think it's interesting to speak to someone that's been brought in from a non-traditional sort of route to run a very traditional insurance business, even if it's a, it's a digital first platform. So what was the kind of rationale 
because you knew I understand you, you knew the founder prior to coming over the founder brought you in with a bit of a mission so what what was what was his rationale and and you know why did you come up with this scheme for you to sort of run this business yeah look uh, you, you're right we had some um some common contacts um, in the digital world. Um, as I said, uh, Nightcorp has quite a large base of technology clients, quite a number of unicorns that we do place internationally. And through that, the, the founder, um, Wade, had actually um, you know, asked around and said, look, I want to look at the business differently. And probably putting some context and stepping back from that, he started the business when he was 24. Um, and that is not the traditional route for starting an insurance brokerage. Usually you go off, you work for an international, you actually you know, earn all your stripes, and then you step out of there, start your own brokerage, still all their clients, and you know, you're very successful as a consequence. He did quite the opposite. He started at 24 with the mission to do things differently. Um, and his first part of doing that was, was starting young without that pedigree. Um, and I guess that set the tone of the business overall. Um, and we can get possibly talk later about experience versus tenure um, and how that really comes into play in leadership, um, particularly in both the digital and, and the broken space. But I guess Wade wanted to challenge the status quo in an industry that was very, very traditional. And bringing me in as somebody that was native to the digital world um, out from outside of insurance was about continuing that that theme. Mm. I got connected with Wade. He he um, suggested that we could work together to scale the business. Um, my look at the um, the insurance broking industry. Obviously, insurance is not known for its innovation. Um, insurance broking as a niche within that is probably even less known. Um, and I, I guess in some ways the, um, the insurance broken model is, is, is broken. Um, so my, my assessment of, of it was you, you sort of look at, the, look at it from a, a context of, yes, you've got a, a product which is essential to everybody. Um, more importantly, um, it is an undigitalized market. Um, and one that we can you know, see opportunities for improvement, right? So, you know, they were the hallmarks um, to me to say, well, is this an industry you want to get into? I've never followed this traditional, um, you know, thought of you must go linear in your career and go from, you know, work your way up within an industry. I've always said, how, how can I actually add value and where can I best add value? Looking at, you know, insurance broking and seeing that there was such a great opportunity to improve the processes and have a massive impact on the customers, that was the thing that actually really drew me in and made me say, well, this looks like it's a, a space that everybody's overlooked. There's a few people out there in the market that are, are actually doing this. There's a number in the US and a number in the UK, um, but nobody in Australia and nobody's really looking to, um, to look at the digital side of broking. Because it's it's really it's a it's an ecosystem play. I mean, you've got the brokers that sit in the middle, and they have these third parties being the insurers or the carriers, um, and you're limited by their capacity. Um, but my experience, I came from the fintech world, is we actually quite often looked at those those limitations and said, how do we actually augment the process but not replace it? So an example of that is. 
you know, we would, you know, in direct, let's take direct debit. When I worked in FinTech, we would, uh, we were constantly told you must get a physical signature for direct debits. Um, we said, well, we can produce a form, but what is the argument for, for delivering a signature? And if you go back and look at the regulations, um, actually what you had to do was prove that the person was the person. It didn't actually require a signature. So by virtue of that, we're able to go back to the banks and the risk departments and say, well, actually, we can give you IP address, date, time, all these things, which are a far more, um, a far better way of actually identifying the customer than a, a physical sig signature ever is, that we're able to actually push that change. And the company I ran at the time were the first people to do um, electronic direct debit in Australia. The same applies in, in insurance. You know, there's limitations in the in the process, and we're never really going to get the carriers to keep pace with us. But could we augment the process where we digitalize it for the customer so their experience is digitalized, but they don't see how the sausage is made? So, you know, that might mean that we go from paper to digital and back to paper for the for the carriers, but we never show that to the customer. And these are some of the, uh, the quick wins and I guess the tests that I've, I've done when I've worked in the digital space and particularly in FinTech to actually test and, and try things. But it also means that you're providing a solution that is delivering for the customer. So if I was to boil that down to a statement, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is, is make insurance for the people that use it, not for, not for the process that it is. Um, you know, and that's that's the most critical thing because it's almost universal from what I could tell when I, I looked into insurance broking that people had sort of got caught up in the process and the limitations of that process, the regulation, and actually forgotten as a customer at the end of this. And I guess this is this is the area where we're looking to do things differently. Yeah, I mean, it's been said on the podcast before that the uh, and I this is a long time ago now, and I forget because it was brilliant thing that was said to me um one of the guests said that the the only true customer of the insurance industry for a long time has been the broker and and, yep. and that statement was you know and lots of people challenge that statement but i think that there's a there, there's a sliver of truth in that that you know that's the delivery of a lot of kind of revenue that ultimately we forget that there's a there's a there's a risk there's a risk you know managing entity at the end of it that's trying to kind of mitigate the risk and they're using the broker to advise and they're using the carrier to provide that capacity and 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 that should be the true customer that everyone kind of sets as their true north um but i think broking particularly is challenging because you know and, and look this was this has been thrown at my industry at the recruitment industry you know that, that we are anti-technology because actually the friction is where we make where we provide value you know if it's so hard to get access to talent i can charge you more money for it and therefore i don't need to embrace the technology i think the same could be said to be true of broking that there is an inherent benefit to brokers to being slightly inefficient because as soon as you drive efficiencies jobs are put at risks margins come into question so there is always that thing when you are I'm oversimplifying, but if the broker's the middleman, then inefficiency as the middleman is is your friend because it drives profit. Is 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 that something you would broadly agree with? Um, look, no, and maybe that's because I have a customer first mindset. Um, and I, you know, as somebody coming from the outside in, 
it's probably a day-to-day challenge I have with, or a, a discussion I have to challenge people's mindset around that. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, realistically, you know, people are looking for a better experience. At the moment, they're requiring it. At a point, they're going to demand it. Um, and, you know, to me, um, you can decide to be somebody that's going to lead that um, or you're actually going to find yourself, um, you know, having to follow and without the learnings that need to, you need to go through and you're going to need to do that really quickly. Um, my, my experience, um, you know, with, the, with it overall is that, you know, and, and it probably comes back to this concept of relationship and it's the big piece and the biggest objection that I get in terms of digitalizing the broking experience. People say to me, but Trent, you've got to understand it's a, uh, it's a relationship game. And I say, oh, okay, that's great. When was the last time you went out and saw your customer? Well, I haven't got time to go and see my customer because I've got too much administration to do. And yeah. I say, well, here's, here's the actual friction. The, the real friction is the administration. And so technology is not about re- replacing people, but enhancing them. It's about, you know, making relationships possible, not actually getting in the road of relationships. And it seems to be the, the, the biggest objection I get in terms of digitalizing the process. But at the other end, if I sit down with a customer, and I've sat down with a couple of CFOs now, um, one of them said to me, um, Trent, the insurance renewal process is my least favorite thing to do every year and you've got to remember i'm an accountant so (laughs) i do some really boring stuff um and you know i guess another one which was a a company i advise a a digital company and the cfo ran me and said is the opportunity there that you truly thought was there in this market and my simple answer was yes um and he's he's um you know feedback was very similar and he said, I just can't understand why the um, insurance brokers wake up every year and almost pretend that they don't know that the customer exists. So you send us a water paper, you know, and I'm simplifying the process, but we th- you throw a hundred pages um, at us and, you know, we fill it out telling you everything about our business. And then you go off and, and, and try and place the, the insurance. Um, what if you actually presented us with what you know about our business and you actually stopped us from having to go through repetitive processes telling us you know our name address you know our, our email our contacts all of that information that is known and has always been known to your business why is that not presented back to us and we only ever give it to you once and that's at the start and from that moment onwards you never need to know that again and it's a fair question and and they are the things that customers are expecting of us but they are, as you're rightly pointing out, the people that actually do object, um, you know, to, to technology, relationships and advice is an important part of the process. And by no means do I think that's going to disappear. It's fact, actually the human element um, that make, makes the process um, what it is and makes the customer satisfied at the end of the day. Because, mm. it, you know, insurance is inherently complex and, you know, the only way you can actually truly explain that is through a human interaction. We work at the corporate end, so we do big multinational companies. Now, sure, if you're doing you know, what we call biz packs or small business, you might be able to build a really simple quote and buy solution. And it's pretty known, albeit there's probably some, some quirks there people know it, need to know about, but 
is pretty well known. But once you get into more complex business, there has to be a human involved. What I, I see a vision of is that that human um, is actually you know, doing the tasks that they need to do, not the tasks they just don't need to do in the process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, a good distinction. Um, so we're talking about a lot of like, it's a nuanced level of change required. Right? I think we, we need to digitize the journey, which which you know means many things, but but be more efficient, use technology to do that. But like, so you're coming into an industry that culturally is is not fit for change. We, we've acknowledged that. So, so, so how do you do that? You know, you come in as a CEO nine months ago and granted, it seems like a more innovative business than some, but you're operating in a, in a sort of the broader ecosystem of broking. How do you approach cultural change in, a, in, a, in an established business like that? Yeah, look, I, I mean, the way I see change is it's really a human thing. Um, a lot of people think about change um, as the, the process itself. It's actually more about the people than it ever is about the process. Um, and, and you're right. And I mean, there's a, a you know a principle from Jim Collins, which is um, you know which is first who then what, you know, and that's one of his core principles. You need to get the people right before you even decide what you're going to do with those people. Um, and change is like that. Um, where, you know, I've gone back to first principles and the most important thing is what is the purpose of the business? Why do we exist in the first place and give that context to people? Once we have solidified that, you then move down into what are the values and what are the behaviours of the business? What are our expectations of people within the business? And that allows people to align around those and, and actually opt in or opt out. If this business is going in this direction and I need to behave in this way, Am I actually comfortable with that? And once you get the people right, the rest kind of falls into place. Mm -hmm. um, and what that might seem simplified, but I think we've all led teams and we know how difficult it is to try and get them to do something they don't want to do when they don't believe in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to me, it's the, the, the biggest fallacy is that change is a process. It's actually a people action. And leadership is the most important thing in, in getting people to do things. Um, and unfortunately, it's one of the things that um, the insurance industry and certainly broking is not always known for. You know, people actually, you know, grow up in the business and it seems to be that tenure dictates people's progression rather than their, their skills and experience. And that's, that's an inherent problem which I've found in entering the industry. So hence why getting people right is so important. Mm. I completely agree with that. I, I was just thinking as you were saying that, that I've had some really funny experiences of managing people that are new into my industry. So brand new recruits into the recruitment industry. And then they've been in the business, let's say four months, and they, they basically picked up a bad habit um no I won't lie that's definitely my fault if I'm managing them then that's my fault 100% on me but but I've spotted it and I've spotted it late getting that person to change that behavior sometimes you're met with just kind of sheer resistance and you think I've been doing this for nearly two decades and like and, and I'm always looking to learn uh but but I think that's one of the things I, I embrace change I think it's exciting but it's fascinating when you come across these people that sort of resistant to that and you think 
you didn't know anything about recruitment four months ago. Now you're resisting change in this space that you know very little about. And then and then you you ratchet that up. And if the, if I was change resistant and I and I've been in the business as long as I have, like 17 years, then you've got a real problem because I've got some very entrenched views and behaviors. And, and it is just behaviors, but yeah, I, and I think that pliability and that and that works with startups as well. You know, we we always talk about on here is like I'm always given briefs going, oh, Alex, we need some, we're happy to take someone from a corporate, but they need to fit in the startup culture. Um, and they think you can't define that, but you can define that. And and for me, it's willingness to change. Uh speed of execution as well, but but really it's willingness to change because the the your the classic is you're building the plane while flying it. You know, that's it's it's exactly true. So um I wanted to kind of build on that because I, I I know there's something that's not particularly positive about the insurance industry. We we talk about this a lot that I get spoken to in the room because I used to work in the insurance industry. So I had this kind of surface validity. You didn't. Um, and I wanted to kind of, how do you approach leadership when you're coming into sort of a specialist domain where you don't have that background? Um, and so how do you approach that? And then secondly, what, are there any specific challenges that you've been met with or or that, that you've come across uh, in these first nine months? Um, yeah, look, uh, I mean, as I said before, I, I've never really followed this or believed in this whole idea of following a, a, a common trajectory in, in, you know, going, staying within an industry, sticking to that lane and going from company to company. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a partly, you know, misplaced loyalty, but I think it's also about the way my mind works and how I want to probably like yourself, grow, learn and experience um, different things. Um, you know, I guess um, from, you know, from the point of view around, um, you know, how do you actually enter an industry or manage an industry you don't um, have the experience in, it's something I've done all my life. I've never worried about going in because the principles of business are, are pretty common. Um, you know, you, you understand the unit economics, you understand the go-to-market strategy, you then actually apply the, that that um, business logic, get the culture right and put an execution plan in place. Now, simplified view of the world, um, it, it may be. Um, but more importantly, I've, I employ people that are good at what they do. Um, I always say to my team, I'm not, if I have to come in and do your job, then I don't need you to be there. Um, you know, and as I, as I came into this um, business and I, I spoke to all the executives that were in place at the time, I, I said to them, I can categorically tell you, I do not want to do your job. Um, and, you know, I've got one to do and that's enough. And I, I certainly don't want to do yours. And if I need to, that's probably the biggest problem we're going to have. But if you look at it from a different lens, you know, in terms of, um, you know, experience, I've led plenty of digital businesses, but I've never been a CTO. I've never wrote a line of code. I couldn't do a query on a database, right? I have studied accounting, but never been a CFO, right? Um, but I've managed plenty of CFOs. The same is true of, of this industry. Whilst I come into insurance, my job is not to be an insurance expert. I am looking to actually work with insurance experts and leverage the knowledge they've got um, and experience so we can actually improve the overall experience for the customer. Um, 
have I met resistance in that? Um, absolutely, I have. Um, and you know, there's there's quite often people, particularly you know, people that have been doing it for a long time and are change resistant, as you actually mentioned, who actually question the capacity to actually do that. I guess the the people we look for in our business are people that actually want to learn, or not from me about insurance, but from me about the skills that I bring. The same way as I want to learn from the skills that they actually have. So it's this symbiotic relationship where I bring a set of skills around scaling and growing um, companies and how to actually apply a digital lens to the overall experience for the customer. And they bring domain experience in insurance um, or, you know, finance or, you know, um, human resources or whatever the case may be. And we, we match that experience together and we learn off each other. You know, it's, it, I, I term these people sort of figure it out people. They don't, they, they kind of have this agility and this adaptability that they don't need all of the detail to do their job. They have a domain experience and they'll work with you and actually learn from your skills and apply it to theirs. And that adaptability is what you need in these high growth businesses. And it's those sorts of people that we look for and yes, there's, that means that some people that are naturally in the um, insurance broking space might fit into our business. But there's actually plenty of other people that are, are, are really gunning for this change and they're questioning why things haven't happened at the pace that they should. So I guess there's, there's no doubt you can't satisfy everybody. But at the same time, you know, I think there's enough progressive people in, in the space to actually that want change that are looking to actually make the biggest impact possible in that industry and ultimately, you know, satisfy the customer. Because if you do that, and, and I guess this is the heart of everything, if you can satisfy the customer and deliver the digital experience they want, um, they're more likely to return. Because one of, the, one of the things I actually noticed when I, I, I came in before and I sort of touched on it when I talked about Wade's experience is that, you know, insurance broking, typically what happens is you have a, a great performer, somebody comes and poaches them, they actually then go over to, a, to the new brokerage, they sit, sit, sit there and serve some clients for 12 months, and then they try and steal your clients. And what you've done in the background is you've hired somebody else from another brokerage, brought them in sat them around servicing clients for 12 months so they can steal all the clients. That's called a, a replacement strategy. It's not a growth strategy. Mm -hmm. Imagine the scenario where you could actually have a situation where the, the person that is working for you goes to another um, uh, you know, brokerage and they say to the customer after 12 months, why don't you come over here? And they say, well, yeah, that's great, but it, are you still using pen and paper or you got that digital process you had when you're over at Nightcorp? And they said, well, actually, I've got the digital process. I'm sorry, the pen and paper process. And suddenly they're going, oh, look, I like you, Joe, but unfortunately, you know, I think I'm going to stick with Nightcorp because, you know, I don't think I could go back to filling out 100 pages anymore. So really you know, what we're looking for, and I guess, you know, is people that can see that potential to change the, the parameters by and the relationship we have. Now, that's not to take away from, as I said, that humanistic relationship, but ultimately, you know, the customers belong to the brokerage, not to the, not to the broker. Mm. And what does that mean long-term? It actually means that people are then more likely to be loyal. 
People are likely, if they want to work with those clients, they're going to stay here and they're going to work with you. So looking for people that have that mindset has all these knock-on impacts if you're thinking about the customer first. If we're thinking selfishly about our, our own personalities and what we're trying to achieve, then you quite often are forgetting the customer and you're not achieving the goal for, for them, for the business or for yourself. So we're, you know, we're taking a slightly different view on the world. Yeah, that, that speaks to how I think about a lot of the sort of progression that we see in, in from individuals with insider insurance businesses. And, and we've touched on this a few times on the podcast before, where you, you take your best broker and then you go, right, you're our best performing broker. You've got the best relationships. You do the most uh, revenue. Uh, now we're going to make you lead a team. Uh, yep. I'm a big believer, and I'm absolute proof of this. <laughs> My team will tell you that I'm a woeful manager um terrible on a day-to-day basis because that's not my skill set i'm good at relationships i'm really good at working with candidates i'm really good at working with clients and i'm really good at matching the two things together that is the core of what makes you good at your recruitment professional job i am not good at running kpis i'm not good at running stand-up meetings i'm not good at strategizing an admin um but i hired people to do that for me but I've also got to promote them as well. It, you know, it cannot stop and end with me because otherwise FinPro might as well be Alex Bond Associates and we may stop at, you know, we may stop at five people. And I think the limiting factor in a lot of businesses is they still work like that. And it's it's a limiting factor to growth because as you say, it's a replacement mindset. It's not a growth mindset. It's a limiting factor to actually DEI because you're not distributing opportunities and people are not giving the opportunities to grow. And it's the biggest vulnerability of businesses because, as you say, the market as it is, it you know everyone robs Peter to pay Paul, and actually we don't grow this 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 global insurance community. We 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 actually just move people around in different chairs. I mean, particularly in London and Lloyd's of London, I I spent fifteen plus years working Lloyd's market roles and remits, and you know it's like oh we've lost our head of offshore underwriting. Okay, which where can we steal from and i know that there's a logic to that but there also is it's like well, what's the talent coming through and what we're we doing about that so yeah I, it speaks to a lot of the, i think the endemic problems that we have in the industry that that prevent us from growing um and, and progressing from a technology standpoint as well so uh, I, I think i know where you're going to go with this one but we had a question about here talent versus tenure skills versus experience now obviously there's a balancing act there but how do you how do you get that balance right? Because you've got to be brave, but then you also need an underlying kind of element of knowledge, one would imagine. Yeah, look, I mean, there needs to be, you know, whilst before I said, you know, in my role, um, I don't need to be, you know, um, a, a, a fully fledged bro- broker and know every um you know different you know um term in every every different in insurance policy you know i don't need to understand the complexities associated with it if, if i was leading a broken team that would be different i'd have to have a certain level of baseline knowledge but in saying that um you know that only needs to be go so far in my opinion you know um once somebody's actually got to a point where, you know, for example, they're a senior broker, there's there's a pivot point, right? You know, are they somebody that's a senior broker that is going to be great at servicing clients long term, or are they a senior broker with the competence to actually lead a team? 
what I've seen in the, in the insurance broking industry is that there's this high value placed on uh, the amount of tenure you've got in the industry. So the, the, the longer you've been in the industry, the more respect you get and the, the more you, you know, go up in the, in the industry. And um, from my mind, that's a mistake. Um, you know, because what it actually does, it entrenches sameness right across the board. Um, whereas what we need to do is actually be looking at building leaders that can, you know, get the best out of people. But also we need to be building competence around, you know, change management, you know, and agility, you know, and those things aren't always inherent with people that have actually have high tenure. So, you know, you, you're correct in probably your assumption that from my perspective, you know, I look for competence um, over, you know, experience. Um, if somebody has the, um, the competence to be a, a leader and I can see that competence in them, I'm going to develop them into a leadership position. Just being the most experienced broker, but without the capability or the competence to be a leader, for me, that's an unfair thing to do to everybody that that person is leading. More importantly, it's not going to deliver the best thing for the customer. And, you know, it, it, it is inherent in, in the industry that that quite often is the case. And it actually does breed some of the bad habits that can, can occur in, in the industry. And it's partly why Wade had the foresight to bring someone like me in, because he said it would, would have been easy, easy for me to go after one of the internationals, grab somebody that's worked the way up the chain and actually become... Um, the head of a brokerage, bring them in and actually do exactly what they're doing there here. But what they're doing here will now be not overly differentiated what than what is happening at the next, next brokerage. Mm -hmm. um, and if that industry is going to change or this industry is going to change, you know, we need people looking at things differently. And that's actually going to come from that leadership competence. So give me the choice of, you know, tenure or competence um, and or, or, you know, those skills that are needed to, to develop people. I'm going to take that competence every day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is a good thing to hear. And, and, and I think it's not enough bravery in that. But I think it's interesting that you come from a sort of more digital startup world because, you know, we span both as a business. So we work with traditional insurance businesses and then we, you know they're trying to do something different and then we work with startup you know very nascent ins uh, tech businesses and so we get we get a, we get a view and we get we get a real mixed board of experiences from people from true startup and some of them have not even entered insurance before and then like tenured insurance and then i think the mistake at the tenured insurance end is to, is to over promote experience over ability then I've seen the opposite in startup land, which, which has been to give people very large jobs that they may or may not be comfortable with. Now, now I, I'm a big believer in letting people have the chance to fail. That's that's true. Yep. But I've also come, a, <laughs> come up against some very inept people in some very, very big jobs. And so it's just this, it's a, a balance is, seems to be the perfect thing of that. And, and you know, Neither what direction is, is I mean, as with most things, there's a balanced kind of view on this, but but definitely there's a sort of toxicity to some of the startup culture I've seen that basically if someone comes in with 20 years experience that they, for example, can't change, 
um okay. it's like well they, they haven't been presented with the opportunity to so yeah I, it's it's getting that it's getting that right culturally um what's the um what's been and, and i'll sort of I'll, I'll start to bring th things towards to a close but you know we talked about digitizing the broker journey and, and the broker environment what's been your biggest perhaps non-personal hurdle that you faced when trying to kind of digitize this this process that you're in yeah look um you know it's probably um as i said you know it's going to be you know that ecosystem that you're working in i mentioned it before you know you've, you've got the situation where um brokers inherently are a part of an overall ecosystem and you can't control the third parties in, in that element but it's about actually working through it like the example i gave before around you know how do we actually get around a, a signature and how do we digitalize that process rather than actually you know um seeing defeat because you know um so you're being told and, and you know one of the things i see between insurtech and fintech is they're both highly regulated environments. And what you're looking to do is actually, how do I deal with the complexity of regulation, um, but improve the experience for the customer? Um, and that complexity and that regulation is the thing that gets in the road of innovation. And people quite often hit that first hurdle and actually you know, give up. So tenacity is something that you learn. And maybe this is when I talked before about you know, people being sort of figure it out and scale ups and startups and maybe in digital generally, um, if you fall at the first hurdle, you never actually get innovation or change. What you need to do is actually keep asking questions. And one of the, you know, you know, I guess from, you know, you said make it non-personal and, you know, I guess it's just putting context on why that it becomes an issue. You know, I, I guess, you know, that innovation and change is not, not something that is inherent. I mean, these are risk professionals, right? So what is the biggest risk that they face? The, the, when they look at, look at risk, they say, well, change, if something's working right now, if I change it, there's a risk involved in that. So it's almost like we built this mindset in, in the, the insurance community that, you know, change is actually going to create risk and risk is bad. So, you know, their, their perception of, of innovation and change is tainted in some ways by what they're doing, which is a bit of an irony, right? Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we need to make sure that um, we sort of push beyond that. Otherwise, we're not going to progress as an industry. Mm. Very true, very true. I felt like we le left it on a somber note there, though, that we, we might not change. So I'm going to just... <laughs> I'm just going to finish with them. Uh, change will happen, my friend. No, I know. Well, we were talking about artificial intelligence replacing parts of our jobs earlier, and, and that change is very much upon us. Um, what's uh, talked about Night Corp for 2023? Obviously, we sort of start of the second quarter. Um, what, are you, what are you guys up to in terms of kind of growth and expansion for this year? Yeah, look, um, I mentioned before that we're... Um, we're a national business, but at the moment we're headquarters in Perth. We're actually nationalising the business, um, so we're we're literally putting offices, um, you know, nationally across Australia. So as part of that growth plan, we're we're looking to do that, have boots on the ground, and have direct presence, which speaks to that, um, you know, that proposition I said before. 
we're not looking to implement technology to replace people. In fact, they're a critical part of the process. So making sure we have those people there, you know, to actually really care and look after the clients is, is important to us. So that expansion, um, expansion plans there, we're actually looking to further look into some of the, the, the critical use cases that we need to, to actually expand on. So in particular, looking at, at things like the renewal and the sign up process for customers and how we can improve that, that experience. Um, you know, for us, you know, if we do some of the, the, the critical use cases first and the hardest use cases first, you actually get a head of steam and you can actually then start pressing really into, into the market and build that loyalty with the customers that we spoke about before. Awesome, brilliant stuff. Trent, I've really enjoyed this as always with our conversations. Thank you so much for bringing your kind of uh, unique vet lens on, on things. But um, I, I probably say that because I agree with a lot of what you say. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's good to hear people embracing change, particularly when it comes to hiring. So thank you very much for being a guest on the Leadership and Insurance podcast. Great. Thanks for your time. Thank you.